0: You're listening to Sit Down with Stand-Ups. I'm Aria Azizian, and this week's episode comes to you live from San Francisco. And it's such an honor to speak with my guest this week. He's a five-time Emmy nominee. He's been on Letterman, and he's in a great new comedy documentary called Three Still Standing, which will be premiering next week, April 29th through the 30th at the Toronto Hot Docs Film Festival. Uh, he's a San Francisco icon. He's a legend. He's a great comedian. I'm speaking with Mr. Mr. Will Durst <laughs>
1: Originally, uh, the Milwaukee area, New Berlin, Muskego, West Waukesha, and yep. then I went to University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee. Uh, graduated from Waukesha South, the same high school The Frank Caliendo graduated oh, really? from. Yeah. Wow! So I'm not even the most famous comedian from my high school, which pisses <laughs> me off.
0: Were you guys around the same time? No, no, twenty years. Twenty years, okay.
1: I was class of '70. He was class of '90.
0: Yeah. And did you start stand up there out in Milwaukee?
1: I did. I always wanted to be a comic. I had watched all the late-night shows Yeah, and went, oh, that's cool. And then uh, I saw this show. Uh, they used to have <laughs> a, a, a syndicated program called Playboy After Dark. Oh, yeah. And it was hosted by Hugh Hefner. And it was one of the first syndicated programs. And they ran it, I think uh, our NBC affiliate ran it in Milwaukee on Saturday night you know, in the time slot of the Tonight Show. And it was Hugh Hefner with this bevy of buxom, beautiful <laughs> <laughs> bombshells. And uh, and uh, so every week they'd have an entertainer or, you know, a, book, uh, a poet. Or, you know, they were heavy with the beats. And uh, so one time this comic comes on and he's wearing a, a shiny suit and a skinny black tie. And uh, the comic comes on and does a little routine, and I thought it was funny. But I noticed the reaction, and all the all the women were were paying attention <laughs> to him now yeah. instead of Hugh Hefner. Right. And I had watched this show three or four times. Nobody had ever done this, and I thought <laughs> that is the coolest thing ever that the chicks dig the comic. Yeah. You know. So um, that was. I think that was very formative. Uh, uh, so I always wanted to be a comic. Since guy. you were a kid,
0: you knew like from watching Tonight Show and yeah, yeah. that show. That was like
1: before also, SNL
0: on Saturday nights. Oh, they yeah. play
1: that. Yeah, comedy was a uh, humor was a big thing in my family because I have a brother who's developmentally disabled. Uh, Marky, my younger brother by two years, and uh, he's he's he can understand, but he can't speak, and you don't know how much he understands and. You know they have an IQ of an eight-year, you know, and you don't know, and they just make stuff up. And but uh, making him laugh was a, a big thing around the dinner table Yeah. For my my mom and my dad and my stepdad. Not so much, but my st- you know everybody. <laughs> right. Uh, so making Marky laugh was was the big deal. That's awesome. That's so like the whole the best family way to communicate was, like it's through humor. It was, yeah, 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 and to make Marky feel like part of the family. Cause yeah. He couldn't discuss, uh, you know, the Vietnam War, but right. you can make him laugh, and he can make you laugh, Yeah, which he did at times, you know.
0: That's awesome. I, I heard, like, your father and grandfather read, like, three newspapers a day, you said, and you that's yeah. where you sort of got into...
1: Well, I just got used to it. I, I lived in a household where there were always newspapers, people were reading newspapers, so uh, I became, you know, familiar with them, and then I started... Uh, you know, just like anything that you do over and over and over again, you you start becoming more uh, particular and you consider yourself an expert, you right. know, and stuff like that. So my, my father read three newspapers and my stepfather read. And we only had two dailies in Milwaukee. So he had to augment that with uh, either the Chicago Tribune, which was available in newsstands, you know, or there were local, you know, rags you know like would you try to like do
0: some jokes like Johnny Carson like in the monologue just take them from the newspaper did you start writing jokes before you knew you wanted to do stand up or were you performing
1: no I started writing in high school okay I started performing in high school I was not a very good basketball player or football player or baseball or golf but (laughs) I could run yeah and so I, I ran cross country and I ran track and I was getting to be a good little low hurdler. And then I broke my foot. And so uh, I was able to audition for, I couldn't, I couldn't run track that, that spring. So I auditioned for the spring play. and I think it was Mr. Roberts or something. Uh-huh. And previously I had filled in for a guy because I had a good memory. And some guy dropped out of our school production of Our Town, the stage manager, and I memorized mm. it in a weekend. Wow. And so, yeah. Yeah. The, and it's a big part, so... Were there uh, any
0: funny scenes? Did you, was that where, like, the first laugh sort of came from? The, uh,
1: no, no. The stage manager, a couple of uh, wry observations, but no real laughs. Yeah. Uh, but, but that uh, feeling
0: to perform in front of an audience was, like, in high school when you really started to enjoy it? Or?
1: Yeah. Yeah, when people are... Are looking at you for the right way because I was always uh, the new kid in class. Uh, my parents moved, and uh, because of my generation, with the the huge explosion of the baby boomers, they were always building new schools and stuff. So um, I was always the new kid. So uh, I went to twelve different schools before I graduated from high school, and then I went to wow, that's yeah. four college, three college, one two, three, four. Four colleges. And, uh, yeah, and then... And then, uh, but I was writing for the school newspaper in high okay. school and college. And I took some journalism. When I went to college, I took journalism and theater and film and broadcasting. Oh, very cool. So, I wanted to go into film, but, because uh, I wasn't getting any parts in theater. Uh, <laughs> they wouldn't They wouldn't cast me. And I knew, damn, I... Uh, I got in, got into a play with uh, Willem Dafoe. Do you know him? Yeah. He's an actor. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. He he went to my same college, U- University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Wow. So, so I was in a play with Willem Dafoe. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It was amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then, um, but because nobody would cast me, because I had kind of this lumpy face that wasn't real, you know, uh, there w- wasn't a way to typecast me. I wasn't the best friend next door, I wasn't a leading man, I wasn't a villain, I wasn't a character. So that's why I knew I had to do stand-up comedy. And and, uh, My teacher, performing arts, uh, Herb Felsenfeld was the professor's name, and he signed everybody in the class, Uh, the fact that we had to do... uh, a performance piece. Just a performance piece. And I chose stand-up comedy. So oh, cool. I cobbled together all the funny parts from my columns that I had written. Yeah. And I stole some jokes from Woody Allen. <laughs> and I just took some funny things that happened in my family. And I said... And I had seven minutes. And I memorized it. Which, of course, as you know, is the hardest easy. part. <laughs> no, no. It's the hardest no, thought, part. Because you had Mem- the weekend. Well, I, the I can memorize. But memorizing... Is, the you know, especially and... that seven minutes yeah. you know where am i going with the next one you know uh so uh i bought a case of beer and i brought it into class we used to have these triangular stamped tin ashtrays that were all over the university and they were disposable and and i brought like five of them from the student union into the classroom and i closed all the windows you and like made, made a club dark. yeah i made a comedy club <laughs> I let them smoke and drink, and they loved that. Part, yeah. you know. <laughs> and I sold the beer for 50 cents a piece. So I actually made like $2.40 on wow. my first gig ever. that's amazing. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and then um, I had seven minutes, and there was a local open mic. This was 1974, and uh, my first gig in a real club was on November 4th, 1974, at Comedy club a uh, place called the rusty nail the rusty, okay. and so i showed up because i had heard about it you know because how you you know you kind of circle something that you're approaching right and, and you learn well i'm not ready you know like <laughs> you get a little closer and oh okay oh that's where it is yeah. oh okay okay well i'll come back next week and then i know where it is now right. and, and that's what i did you i kept d- going watching other people perform no oh no. you just I waited in, until it was ready, yeah. Where do I sign up? <laughs> I don't know how I had the balls to do that.
0: Where do I sign up? But the first that, one you did in class with the, you turned into a comic club, that go really well?
1: The kids were smoking and drinking in class. Yeah. You know, they were laughing. They they weren't expecting comedy. I I had some actual jokes there because of Woody Allen, thank right. God. You know? um, the moose joke. <laughs> <laughs> the moose came in second. Very <laughs> <They're> nibbish. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So so um, the first
0: time you went to the nail. or the Rusty Nail. Rusty nail. And,
1: I, and because I had some stage time, I had been in plays and stuff. I was familiar with the, uh, I wasn't nervous. I was the third best out of wow. out of about like 11 guys who went up that night.
0: That's so cool.
1: And it was very interesting because the Rusty Nail uh, was close to a college called the Milwaukee School of Engineering, MSOE. And they had adopted the place as kind of like their hangout. You know, all these kids from MSOE were kind of engineering nerds. You know, yeah. I mean, before there were computer nerds, there were engineering nerds. Right. And so they adopted the place and they had foosball tables and um, pinball machines, and it was Monday night football. It was because it was always Monday night. So they had to turn off Monday night football. Oh, and they had to turn off the foosball tables. Yeah. And the pin- so, and uh, the, the kids. From MSOE, thought this was their turf, and they objected <laughs> to having their turf sullied by the. So they would stay, and they would try to sabotage your act by yelling out the punchlines because they were there every week, right. the same crew. So I learned how to arrive at the punchline on a circuitous route. You know, never the same setup, and I think that helped a lot. It was an unusual. Kind of spice to throw into the exactly yeah <laughs> mortar that I was being pestled in or the pestle that I was mortared in.
0: No, I totally know that feeling. There's like like a sports bar in LA that it has a Monday night open mic, and the TVs are just going with a ball. mic.
1: I can't compete. No. There's no way I can get no. these guys' attention. <laughs> but, no. That's that's wrong. Yeah, you can learn lo- wrong shit on the road. You can learn bad stuff on the road. You always have to shoot, throw the ball. Like the 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 audience is a wide receiver, you know, throw it so that they have to run to catch it. You can't do all button hooks where right. you just stand in there. And <laughs> You just keep nailing because got nowhere to go exactly. after that. I thought you I know. read some football jokes that didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not quite what I mean. But, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so you gotta you gotta always give the audience the benefit of the doubt and make them stretch. Yeah,
0: and absolutely.
1: Run for the joke. <laughs> run for the joke.
0: And then how many years uh, did you perform there before you... Did oh, you move to Milwaukee? San Francisco first? Yeah. Or?
1: I was there for about five years, almost five years to the day. Cause wow. uh, the first day I moved to San Francisco in 79 was November 4th, so oh, cool, yeah. I kept doing it, and we had open mics, and the thing was, in Milwaukee, the city itself, comedy is illegal because of really? a bizarre licensing law that... Uh, When they wrote the municipal codes for entertainment, back in the 50s, comics were MCs for strippers. So they wrote them under the same license. So to this day, if you want to charge money for a stand-up comedy show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, you have to buy an exotic dancing license. Oh, my gosh. I know. So we had some burb. We had, uh, there was a place called Jack's Are Better out in Wauwatosa, which was right across the Milwaukee border, the city of Milwaukee. And there was some stuff on the south side. But it would run for eight months and then die and then pop up somewhere else you know in Chicago they had a couple of places they had the Comedy Cottage and the Maroon Raccoon but as soon as they found out I was from Milwaukee they would put me on first or last you know as cannon fodder you know because they would reserve prime time for their local boys which is only fair and right and true and just you know but uh, I wasn't getting any good stage time you know I was just getting uh, come on you guys (laughs) (coughs) These these jokes are funny. I've tried them before, <laughs> and they actually listen. If you listen, look for the joke, it'll be there. Uh, so, and then you came San Francisco, and and then I came to
0: San Francisco. That was like mid 70s or late seventies.
1: Uh, Seventy nine. Seventy nine. I uh, there were three places where you could earn your living at stand up comedy, and they were. Chicago, Boston, and San Francisco. Not New York or L.A. Wow. Because as you know, everybody's willing to do it for free, for exposure. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah.
0: The whole comedy strike with the store. And, right, right. Yeah. So yeah. that's so cool. So over here, there's Punchline and Cobbs and...
1: At the time, there was... Uh, Holy City Zoo. The Holy City Zoo. The other cafe was just starting to have a stand-up comedy, I think two nights a week. There was the intersection, the mustard seed, a bunch of places. And the punchline, of course, which had been the dressing room for the old Waldorf when Jeffrey Pollack owned it, and then John Fox, the the producer, not John Fox the comedian. (laughs) So they're they're always differentiated with John Fox the producer. (laughs) Uh, He kind of wangled his way into the San Francisco comedy competition, and the second and third year he had the finals in what is now the punchline and oh, okay. turned it into a comedy club. Oh wow. Yeah. So that's how the punchline became the comedy club. And so I moved here and in Playboy <laughs> and a lot of my career seems to revolve around Playboy. <laughs> but Playboy magazine did a thing on Robin Williams right after Mork happened, you know, 7778 maybe 70 maybe early 79 i can't remember but uh they did a sidebar on the holy city zoo oh
0: you know that's just so cool, yeah. maybe
1: uh you know 500 words about the holy city zoo and how it was a, a, a clubhouse for comics and i thought that was so hip so the first time i came to san francisco i i, I did the open mic at the punchline And then the guy saw me who ran the open mic at the Holy City Zoo. So I went there, and he said, yeah, I'll put you in. I saw you pretty good. And um, I had to follow Robin Williams. Oh, my God. Yeah, who followed followed Michael Pritchard, which would have been hard enough for me to follow. Michael Richard? Pritchard. Pritchard, Pritchard, okay. A local guy. Yeah. Uh, And then Robin came out and did 45 minutes. And that was my first time at the zoo. So it was was hideous and wonderful at the same time, yeah. (laughs) And uh then I just uh, Alvin was and already big cuz of Mark, right?
0: It was oh, like everybody huge. knew, yeah. yeah.
1: And at the time in San Francisco there were five levels. There was uh you were an open micer, you were an MC, you were a middle act, you were a headliner and then you moved to LA. And it was it was that it was almost rigid. And uh, I didn't move to LA. I never moved to LA. I did I did LA for 3 months at a time a couple of times. Because I had plays down there, but I never moved LA, because I was able to catch the wave, uh, the crest of the comedy wave, you know, which started in '83, '84 when, because cable had discovered comedy, how cheap it was to produce. Right, HBO and all those things. Yeah, HBO on location, and then evening at the Improv, a little later, and then A and E became the comedy and. and, Hitler channel, and they were doing. It was either one or the other. It was either <laughs> World War Two or they had comedy. Right. At one time, uh, evening at the improv was on three times a day, four times a day on A and E, and they had Caroline's Comedy Hour, and all these clubs started spinning up in uh, America, and you can tell that cable created. The comedy boom, because the last two cities in America to get a comedy club were the last two cities to get cable television. That was Cincinnati and Milwaukee.
0: That's amazing.
1: Yeah, and I I was, it was just a very special time. And we comics, who had started out, you know, right around 80, there was no money in it until like 83, so 84. 84, there was 40 stand-up comedy clubs, full-time clubs in America. And I think eight of them were in the Bay Area. Oh my in gosh! In '84, yeah. And then in ni- in 1994, there were 440. Wow. Full time comedy. That was clubs when the boom like had,
0: happened. The yeah. where everybody started doing. Yeah. Opening up clubs and. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool. Yeah, and,
1: the all these disco owners who had the, you know, they had the mirrored ball. Right. And then they tried the mechanical ball because the country <laughs> western thing happened. Yeah. With. Uh, uh, the John Travolta, the More urban cowboy.
0: I think Bill Maher said like it was like discos and then turned into strip clubs, comedy clubs, and then eventually a Starbucks like would pop up. <laughs> but uh, that's so amazing. So you were there for the high... I was just wondering, you brought up like Robin Williams and the Holy City Zoo. I was just wondering, what was that like? Because I know Larry Bubbles Brown was there and Johnny Steele were there. And just like all my favorite like comedians from the Bay Area at that... That yeah. one time everybody was there. It, like Dana it, Carvey. and.
1: Dana had left by 83, 84. Uh, he, he had gone down to LA. Would you guys just walk from Holy City Zoo to Punchline and just like. Well, we, we'd we always end up at the zoo. Yeah. You know, Even when there was Tommy T's in San Leandro, right. Tommy T's in Concord, and uh, there was a Punchline in, in downtown, and then a Punchline in Walnut Creek. And then there was a Foo Bars in Pleasant Hill. And there was uh, the Country Store, which became Rooster T. Feathers in Sunnyvale. And there was a comedy club in Napa for a while. And another one in Corta Madera. And, and these are full time clubs. Yeah. You know? I'm not talking about the one nighters. And then, of course, Sacramento had a punchline and a laughs unlimited.
0: That's amazing. So you're like young, you're like 20, 30, and then you can make a full living just right here in San Francisco yeah, you could, doing stand up. Yeah,
1: you could book. In September I would book half of the following year because they always booked their whole year in September. The following year. So I would book the punchline three or four times. Wow. You know, punchline one like three or four times. Cobbs three or four times. Cobbs started in eighty three, I think. And yeah, That's you so, so cool is you just... could have twenty six weeks, boom, you know. And never have to leave really never there, leave. Right? No. Oh. That's like the dream I feel like
0: uh, How come You didn't want to go to LA Was there reasons Because
1: or- I was uh, Into the political material thing Yeah And in LA Everybody was always doing Their best seven minutes And you would see The same guys do. Oh because they want
0: to and- get on Like Carson or Letterman Or something like yeah. that Yeah Well it
1: makes sense You know and that—that's why San Francisco was so special. There was no money here. And yeah, you had all these oddballs and misfits and outcasts and square pegs that didn't fit into round holes. You could
0: and, like move the line and just keep going and trying new stuff out here. Like. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because if you if you did well in San Francisco, you know maybe some some guy might hire you for a five hundred dollar corporate gig. You know, who was right. wow. But if you did well in L.A., some guy in the audience might give you thirteen weeks at five grand a week. So the money was totally different. Yeah. So, uh, people in San Francisco were a lot more uh, supportive, and they would tell each other where gigs were, yeah. and, and, you know... Just, like, less
0: sort of... Not wait. competition, but, like, greed, I guess, for...
1: Not greed, no, less, uh, less pressure. Less pressure, yeah. yeah.
0: And I loved... Um, I didn't get to see the full movie yet, but I saw... I came to, uh, like, one of the opening nights or premieres at the Throckmorton last year last May and you and Larry Brown were there and Johnny Steele oh three still standing yeah they played yeah. like bunches of clips and it's it looks so amazing is it out can I get it on DVD not yet
1: uh, uh, we're still trying to find a distributor uh, we're hopefully looking towards Toronto at the end of this month which is April? Oh of wow, 2015. that would be amazing! Yeah. Uh, yeah. So find a distributor down there.
0: I only probably saw maybe 30 percent of the movie, but it's like it's so amazing, and it's just about mostly you three, Larry Bubbles Brown, John and, and why you we it. never left, and why, and why
1: we're still doing stand-up comedy, you know, even though we're not famous.
0: And huh. that's it's an amazing story. I think it's they they just sort of followed you guys for like a year or
1: for three years. Three years. Yeah. Well, two. Two full years, and then it's been a year since they, uh, since that. So yeah, it's been a three-year process.
0: Yeah. And you and Larry Brown and Johnny Steele, you guys kind of all came together. You guys have been working
1: yeah for a yeah, long time together. We're all part of the. City. Johnny's a little later. I think I was here first, and then Bubble started in '81, and Johnny started in '83.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. Yeah. And I read on your site you did 800 TV appearances with like Letterman At least. and. That's at least, so cool.
1: uh, I, I had a couple of TV shows. How many
0: Letterman? Uh, only Letterman once. Once, yeah. Was it on the, his NBC show or? Yes, it was. Oh, that's the best. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. And he did like HBO and Showtime. And yes. Yes. Wow.
1: I've clawed my way to the middle. Um, <laughs> yeah. A uh, I always seem to piss off the very successful uh, people, and then. Get really cozy with uh, people who decide to get out of the industry (laughs) that's odd well I love like you do like I mean I get
0: your emails every week and you do like social commentary and satire and I think you're brilliant at it and I was wondering when you go on tour like uh do do you uh does it translate like internet like does it go well in like Alabama or like down there like Texas or something like that or do you kind of have to like Hold off on some things, as opposed to San Francisco.
1: Uh, yeah, see, that's that's uh, we, our crowds are are much ahead of, and that can be good, and that can be bad. It's not necessarily a good thing, you know. Jerry Seinfeld compared San Francisco comics to uh, the residents of Shangri-La. You ever saw the movie lost horizon where uh, they try to leave shangri-la and they become decrepit and old immediately <laughs> and you know that's pretty much the story of uh, san francisco comics when they go down to la and because la is a, a different rhythm and you know it's a it's a whole different approach so uh and also san francisco audiences aren't necessarily smarter they just Think they should be, you know? Right. They consider themselves. So- it's like a phenomenon I discovered when I went uh, catch a rising star in Harvard Square. It used to be the best club in the country for for one reason. It was it was downstairs, so you ha- so it was like a catacomb. So all the walls were brick, and oh, the wow. ceiling was a little shorter. It was yeah. like you know, like seven and a half feet instead of nine. That's and, like
0: the perfect club. Yeah, yeah,
1: and the sound, the laughs would bounce off all that brick and. Because of the shorter ceiling, the laughs would funnel through and pick up steam and momentum. And the audience thought they were having a much better time than they actually <laughs> were. Yeah. Because of the sound, the right. acoustics. Same thing with uh, the improv when it was in San Francisco on Mason and Geary and, and the comedy underground in Seattle. Uh, and the basement rooms, man. Uh, and the Hungry Eye. Uh, uh, I mean, the Purple Onion was like that. Yeah. Purple Onion. So, uh, also, in Harvard Square, in Cambridge, they, you know, they think, oh, we're here with Harvard students and MIT right. students. There's
0: like 20 colleges from that yeah, corner. Yeah, and
1: they think that, and it's all these MOOCs from the burbs who are coming in, <laughs> but they think that they got to be, you know, up to the level of Harvard. Right. So they, you know, they think they're smarter, and then they think they're having a better time. So, <laughs> so it was a to- totally bogus experience, but it was great yeah. because of the quality of the laughs. Yeah.
0: That's amazing. Yeah. I love so, how you say they're not, that much more, but they I mean that helps because they're open to you know hearing the new ideas exactly. and they're ready to laugh exactly and yeah. I, I wanted to ask you that too because I feel like now just watching comedy in clubs and stuff I feel like everybody's so um, politically correct all the time and somebody will say a joke that's not even like bad at all but everybody go ooh like ah, like everybody's afraid to laugh do you feel like that's been getting worse through the years yes or? yeah why yeah. is that do you have any like sort of thoughts on that or
1: oh because it's a uh, it's it's ingrained in people from... Uh, Everything
0: offends everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, from school, you know, from school. Oh, we can't do that. We can't say that about Bobby. Right. Know. And, oh, no, we're all, you know, and so people people are taught uh, that this is offensive. And th- see, that's, that's the thing about stand-up comedy. And it, every generation of stand-up tries to break the the envelope mm-hmm. of what, it, what was okay beforehand. And that envelope has been poked so many times; it's, <laughs> it's hard to find an unpoked area. Right. And that's why the new comedy, you know, the new kids are trying to do something that people can't see on television. And there's not much that there's not much that they are unable to see on television. So uh, that's why there's a lot of masturbation jokes. Right. And, yeah. And you know, people were entering the rape. Uh, All right. Yeah. Um, portal even though the just only people get to get away with rape jokes are women okay <laughs> i think i think that if a guy tries to do that's not no um, maybe one guy one day somewhere will we'll be able to it do out. it but but otherwise it's just but also i mean any comedy club after midnight you get all those jokes
0: you you just start yes. coming out got to get people's attention well, yeah which makes sense you know when you're in the industry i mean
1: there's but do you think
0: that's something that's not Helping comedy going into those sort of since oh I, everything's I, I been don't poked know. at it, everybody's different yeah you know
1: if I mean uh, Andrew Dice Clay and Sam Kennison right. were so extreme and and so you know I think you can be extreme if you do it well you know he's the problem you know most comics aren't original they they are and and you figure you filter it you filter anything through. Who you are and will come out original. But I remember when Stephen Wright first hit, and everybody tried to do that laconic kind of yeah. sideways. But if you met Stephen Wright, he's really like that. That's yeah. an organic <laughs> character. Him, yeah. Same thing with Bobcat Goldthwait. He's really like that. Yeah. Not as extreme. Right. But he. But you know, I mean, that's it's an organic seed, and and Emo Phillips is really like that. So for all these other people to pretend to do that, or or when Seinfeld was popular, we called him a sweater comic, and that <laughs> was is that. What is that? I don't know. He <laughs> he seemed to wear a sweater a lot, um, so we called him a sweater comic, and everybody wears a swe- Everybody wanted to be a sweater comic, oh, my, you know, because yeah. uh, he was doing it. Yeah, yeah, because they all tried to do the observational stuff, right? But Seinfeld is such a technician. Oh He's, yeah. So good at that. I mean, he can microscope. Yeah, but if you saw the movie uh, comedian, Mm -hmm. you know, where he develops a whole set. I mean, you can see him. So I mean, everybody's going to try to, you know, and seven eighths of what you see out there is going to be drak. Yeah, you know, just like in every recycled something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and one eighth is going to stand out and be original. You know, it's just the way of the world.
0: Yeah, I always say that it's like like music like everybody's learning the Hendrix licks the Keith Richards licks and eventually you'll become like Jack White or something like that but everything exactly. comes from something yeah like the- yeah
1: the thing is, you know, all these beautiful people are trying to do stand up comedy. And, <laughs> and, dude, you're too pretty to yeah. do stand up. You know, we're not buying the, oh, I'm so. B-. No. That's my biggest pet peeve.
0: When somebody comes to they're like, oh, come on. It's yeah. an actor. Come on. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Whitney Cummings is gorgeous. Yeah. And, and she, oh, I'm a dork. No, you're not. <laughs> and and then they have all these beautiful people who are, oh, and, and it comes off as smug, yeah. and they don't realize it. Dude. <laughs> You can't do. <laughs> no, it doesn't work. You're thing. too pretty. Yeah. You know, deal with it. <laughs> You're too pretty for comedy. When Which is Hamm... something you and I will never be accused right, yeah, of. Yeah, we'll be good.
0: <laughs> when John Ham? Oh, yes. When John Ham? Uh, he came on like Thirty Rock, the Tina Fey show. I was like, oh my gosh, he's funny too. Come on, he's I a great actor. But he's Looks... really short. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to have one thing. Yeah, yeah. I just want to ask you real quick. Um, I love all your albums, and um, you always have new stuff coming in. And uh, well, I was wondering what your writing process was like, especially since you do more topical jokes. And I'm
1: so lazy. Uh, <laughs> I get to ask this all the time, and I'm embarrassed. But uh, I have deadlines. So I have to come up with these commentaries every week. And uh, so... Last three weeks, it's been pretty easy to come up with a topic, because it's been handed to me. Yeah. Uh, Iran, all those, everything. Yeah, in three this. weeks ago, it was Bush Clinton. Uh, two weeks ago, it was Ted Cruz announcing, and then last week... It was Indiana, so oh, yeah. it's always being handed. To, and I try to focus on national stuff, not international stuff, because I have no idea what the the peace talks were. Right. I'm sorry, man. I have no <laughs> idea what that is about. So They I don't focus, know either. That's okay. I, I know. <laughs> I know. Sanctions? What sanctions? Uh, a year? <laughs> a year? What? <laughs> so uh, nobody knows, uh, not even John Kerry. So uh, on Thursday, I have to come up with... 300 words and then it used to be wednesday but i moved the deadline back uh and that and then i read it in my computer i fashion it into a commentary hey guys will durst here with a few choice words about blah blah and then i do hopefully i I write them with jokes because it's got to sound like my voice doing jokes and then i do different tags at the end so uh, for Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. For Howie's Freaky Fat Friday, I'm Will Durst. So I do that 12 times, and I send them out to the 12 different stations. But then I have a kernel for the column. So uh, after I strip out all the the radio stuff, uh, it, I end up with about 250 words, and uh, that's the, the seed mm-hmm. for my column that I'm going to write most of the time. And the column has to be 550 to 600 words and then it's two different voices, the commentary and uh, the column. Uh, But then I, I, on Friday, I write the column, send that out to the syndicator. It's syndicated by something called Kegel Cartoons, and that goes out to um, a bunch of newspapers, and I don't know how many print them, maybe 30 a week.
0: Here's Uh, what amazes me. You're writing all this, and you're sending them out, and i spend you know like hours writing and i never actually know what's funny until like i i think something is hilarious and i take it to a club and be like oh no not at all but How long have you been doing it? Just
1: 2 years okay. nothing at all but i was okay. going to say
0: when was it for you when you just- I've been doing this for
1: 41 <laughs> years. Yeah. Uh you get a handle on it and that's Is
0: there a moment where you just you write something and you're like oh yeah that'll that's going to work like you just know
1: like Yeah, i have a joke and i can't remember what it is. But I love it. that must be a great feeling. And the audience. And I, I don't care. I'm going to make them love it. And what is it? Is it, uh, is it uh, Ted Cruz? Is it George Bush? Oh, it's George Bush. It, it's Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. Uh, uh, Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush. Uh, gonna be the third Bush? Not gonna happen. I doubt if America would elect a third Roosevelt. And the <laughs> Republicans keep saying, "Oh yeah, but you know, Hillary Clinton's a, she's a sequel to." Well, there's a difference between a third Bush and a first woman. Um, <laughs> the only woman that Republicans uh, would would ever consider is Barbara Bush, and not as a candidate, but as a production facility. <laughs> I love production facility. I think that's, and the audience isn't quite sure yet. And I think I'm gonna. I I think in like four or five months, I'm gonna have the rhythm. And yeah. I'm gonna know how to approach it, and I might change the ramp to Just get there. Just that word production facility. Production facility is hysterical. I agree. Yeah. That's such a great joke. Uh, yeah. Thank well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I've I've only tried it a couple twice. I've only tried it twice, and I haven't known quite how to get to it. But uh, that's what this week at the Punchline is about. So I have to do. I have to stop focusing on the two one-man shows, uh, wow. which are yeah. Boomer Raging and the new one Durst Case Scenario, which I'm not even quite sure what it is as a show. And now I have to focus on my stand-up this week. My gosh, that's incredible! So It's many... it's, it's my career. It's yeah. my job. Wow! It's it's just different facets of it, and I've accepted all the responsibility for getting good at all these things. And if you can't handle the responsibility, then you, you don't accept it. Yeah. He just worked. He just you know, it's you ever see the, the guy who spun the plates on the Ed Sullivan show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's got like seven plates in the air and he's he's gotta go back and keep spinning yeah. each one. You wow. know? That's well totally maybe he gotta started gotta out do, with yeah. six. Right. You know, maybe he only realized that oh I, I think I could do seven. You know? <laughs> seven will kill. If I do <laughs> yeah. <seven. laughs> well how come he doesn't do fourteen? Right? You know, yeah. he can't do fourteen. apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Thank so. you so much, Mr. Jersey. Oh, I really appreciate it? it. Yeah, is that okay? Right. Yeah. Thirty
0: minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much, sir. And when do I get to see you? Uh, Maybe in 10, 10, 15 years. I don't know. <laughs> when do
1: I get to see you? Up here? Punchline?
0: <sighs> no, never. I don't know. Molly? Uh, I might do brainwash maybe, but we'll see. This week? No, I'm going back tomorrow to L.A., unfortunately.
1: How do you get to come back here?
0: Uh, I, I went to school here, so then I just come and visit my friends like, and you crash with, with them. Friend? Yeah. Cool, cool. And I, I try to do something when I come up here. Where would you go? stay? To, no, I went right here, USF. USF, just up the street, yeah. And In what? Business marketing, the opposite of comedy, Dude. <laughs> but kind of the same.
1: Yeah. Not theater? <laughs> yeah, it is good. Kind of
0: uh, yeah. No, I wish I, had, I discovered it honestly so late. I I would do cartoons for the. I kind of would do the same. Oh, I cool. do political cartoons for the newspaper, and then um, the improv team was like, "Oh yeah, you can come." And I've never performed before, and I was like, "All right, I'll try it." And then I sort of got used to that, and then I was like, "I'll do stand-up because I love it so much." Are you still cartooning? Uh, not as much but i'm going to get back into it have and you ever
1: thought about doing a slideshow on stage
0: i've actually thought of that yeah cuz demetri martin has that paper that he pulls back and i thought about doing it that way yeah, yeah. I, I worked at the dorm as a doorman and the guys who had the powerpoint stuff like it was always a huge hassle and like yeah you know yeah. the technical aspect of it freaks well, that's me out why I use so the it, paper like that's I think,
1: why I, I use an overhead projector in my oh, yeah, yeah. in my one man show you just plug it in and it's just good to do. just plug be, it in and then i run it And it's. Do you do cartoons as well? I do the transparencies. Uh, No. No. Well, if you ever need
0: an illustrator or something, let me know. All right. Yeah, but maybe something like that one day would be fun. Shoot me some of your shit. Absolutely. Thank you so much, sir.